Salsa tracks are about a mile long. They consist of 15 to 20 turns, and the ride takes about a minute. Just 60 seconds, but it feels like getting kicked off a cliff in a trash can. I was the first newbie to go down the track that day. I can remember making sure that my helmet was secure, that my mouth guard was in place, and that I remembered my bobsled spikes and my burn vest. General rule of thumb, stay away from activities that require something called a burn vest. As I stood at the top of the track, staring down the start ramp, seriously reconsidering my decision to try this sport, the all clear horn sounded and the start clock began to count down. I must have blacked out for just a second because the next thing I knew, I was hurling myself downhill behind what looked like a carbon fiber bathtub, on ice, jumping in for 60 seconds of twists, turns, and G-forces. I remember thinking it was never going to end, but it was over in a flash. It was both terrifying and invigorating. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And when it was over, I couldn't wait to do it again. I got out of the sled and I thought, I think I should bobsled. The voice you just heard is Lauren Gibbs. At the age of 30, Lauren left the corporate world to pursue what many thought was a crazy dream, making the USA Olympic team. 30-year-old rookies don't make the Olympic team, but Lauren had to take her shot. After that first run in October of 2014, she spent over three years chasing this dream. On January 13th, 2018, she was named to the USA Olympic team. And just six weeks later, on February 21st, Lauren and her teammates stood on the podium claiming their silver medals at the Olympic Games in South Korea. Hers is a story of wanting something more in life, having the courage to try, and making the commitment to succeed. I know you'll enjoy the inspirational journey of Olympic medalist, Lauren Gibbs. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm excited and honored to have a USA Olympian as my guest today, Lauren Gibbs was a Cutco rep for about eight years, starting in 2002. She played volleyball at Brown University, graduated from Brown, ultimately got into the corporate world. After a few years in the corporate world, she went to pursue her MBA from Pepperdine, got that, but there was something still calling her, and that something was bobsled and the pursuit of becoming a USA Olympian. And the journey that she'll describe today ended with the glory of winning a silver medal at the 2018 Olympic Games in South Korea. Now, Lauren is continuing to train for bobsled, will possibly pursue the 2022 Games, and she is positioning herself as a professional speaker, offering her insights on her experiences and her lessons. So, Lauren Gibbs, thanks so much for making time for the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's crazy. I haven't seen you in too long in, in years. So it's it's always good to connect with Cutco peeps. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, we were all very proud to see you, what you accomplished in February of 2018. That was really a cool thing for a lot of Cutco people. Tell us, Lauren, a little bit about your background, you know, before you were at Cutco, before you were at Brown. Just a little bit about you. Yeah. So I'm born and raised from Los Angeles, California. And I think athletics have always been a part of my life. And I've also really always enjoyed business and money. 
<laughs> um, not that they're the most important things, but I just have always enjoyed how business and how money, how the world works around it. Um, and then I've always been very competitive. So I started in competitive sports at eight years old. I asked to be thrown into AYSO soccer and then, you know, you know, growing up in high school, I did every sport. I did volleyball, track and fields, a little bit of softball, um, just a little bit of everything. Yeah, outstanding. And you were recruited to Brown to play volleyball there at Brown. Tell us a little bit about your time at Brown and how you feel that was instrumental in your life. Brown is one of the most incredible places on the planet. Um, imagine you take all these really intelligent, thoughtful hardworking people who aren't, aren't just curious about learning, but are curious about how the world works and making the world a better place. And then you put them in one place for four years and all kind of magical things occur. And so Brown is, uh, is an Ivy League, but it's kind of like the Ivy League with a social conscience as well. So there's a lot of successful people. There's business people. There's a lot of people trying to you know, help the environment. And there's a lot of great athletes as well. And so, you know, I just had an incredible mix of human beings that I get to call my friends. Yeah, that's outstanding. What a great experience. I mean, certainly so much of our life is dependent on our reference group and the people we're hanging out around. And to get a chance to go to a place like Brown for four years is a pretty amazing experience, I'm sure. What did you learn from playing volleyball that you feel like you've applied you know, volleyball was one of those sports that I picked up later in life. And it seems to be kind of my thing is like, I find something a little bit later than the norm. So I didn't start playing volleyball until my sophomore year of high school. And I remember my dad saying, you know, we're not going to put you into club volleyball because you'll never play volleyball in college. And that was kind of like the nudge I needed just to prove him wrong. So a lot mm-hmm. of, a lot of things goes to my dad because a lot of the things I've accomplished are just to prove him wrong. Um, he's very supportive, but he's also a psychologist. So he's very practical, but you know, volleyball is a great team sport. So I definitely learned a lot of teamwork, but it takes a lot of hard work and there's a lot of technical stuff that I had to pick up very quickly. And so volleyball, I loved it right away. And it taught me that if I wanted to be good at something, I had to work really hard at it. Mm, Definitely a great insight. I feel like a lot of people think they can kind of talent their way to success just based on, you know, natural talent. But it does in almost anything in life, it really does take a lot of hard work and effort to be able to take things to the highest level and to be really, really good at it. So that's cool. How did you get started with Cutco? I was a mailer baby. So (laughs) I got a letter in the mail. I had five weeks of summer until I was going to have to go to Brown for preseason. And you know, I'd been in private schools my entire life. And so I really thought highly of myself and I was going to a good school and I thought I'm going to apply for a job. So I applied for a job at J crew. I did a group interview. They asked me what my starting salary would be. And I said, I think I said $20 an hour. So I was like, (laughs) well, that's what my time is worth. And they didn't call me back. And so I got a letter in the mail and I remember reading it and I thought, well, maybe I'll be working at like a sporting goods store. And so I went over to the Hollywood. It was a branch office with Heather Minette. Uh, and they put us in a group interview like they do now, or maybe they've changed it since. And I remember these people getting called out before me and I thought for sure I didn't get the job. And then I got the job and my dad was like, you're doing what? Which I think is a lot of parents' reactions. Um, and of course, again, my dad said no. And I was like, okay, yes. So I paid for my own sample kit, which I don't think they do that anymore. No, they're free now which is awesome. Um, but the sample kit was well worth the money. So probably one of the best investments I've ever made. And I made $5,000 in five weeks. $5,000 in five weeks as an 18-year-old <laughs> in 2002. That was a lot of money. And I just was like, wow, that was awesome. That is cool. What do you feel like were some of the experiences that stand out from your experience with Cutco? Yeah, I think the first experience for me is that I was not a natural. Um, I remember my first like real push period. They're like, if you sell 40 orders, you will sell 10 grand. And I sold 42 orders and sold seven grand. So like I was not a natural. And I was always one of those kids that thought they knew better than everybody. So I wasn't reading my manual and I wasn't following things. And I was still making sales because the product is incredible, right? How can you not? And I also remember the first time 
Her name is Terry Leapman. She's a friend of a friend, mom. And I remember the first time someone bought for me without any objections, I said, now, you know, I wouldn't be doing my job. And I asked this question, if you wanted to get this Homemaker Plus 8 and get the super shoes for free. And she says, I'll take it. And I was like, <laughs> and that was the first time I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try reading my manual and see what happens. And it worked. And I was like, I was instantly like excited and so angry at myself because this was my second summer. And I was like, man, how many appointments did I mess up? How many, you know, customers did I not service properly? And more importantly, how much commission did I miss out on? Uh, because I wasn't willing to just follow a program that had been true and tested. Um, other things that were hard for me, you know, it was hard for me to get around the concept of sales because sometimes sales doesn't have the best, I guess, reputation. But if you think about life, sales is just a part of life, you know, whether you're wanting to date somebody or you're going on a job interview or, you know, you're in a, in a job where you're, you're required to work with a group, you have to sell whatever it is that you think is the right path to go down. It's the same with getting into college, right? I was selling Brown that I was the right student athlete for them to bank on. It was the same with going to the Olympics. I had to, my pilot had to believe that I was the right person to push her to an Olympic medal. So um, I think what was great about my experience with Cutco is it really got me comfortable with the idea of sales and how sales is how the world works. And you have to be comfortable and confident uh, being able to, I guess, say, explain what you're trying to get to, you know, and uh, say your piece and things. So it was an yeah. important lesson. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. We always say everything is selling. And, you know, what I mean by that is just the idea that what selling really is, is it's influencing other people. Right. And we do that every single day, every multiple day. times every single day, influencing people, whether it be selling a product or selling an ideas or influencing kids' parenting is a 18 yeah. year long sales, sales process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So anyway, it's cool that you got some of that, that experience early on from Cutco. Any other lessons that you feel like stand out from your Cutco career or memorable yeah. experiences? I really like just how I was taught to care for people. I got to give a little video testimonial for Jay Brad Britton, um, who will always be one of my favorite mentors. And I got, it was almost emotional because like he is the epitome of caring for others. Mm -hmm. um, and when you care for people, they can really do great things. And being a part of people doing great things is what life is about. And so I learned that at Cutco. I learned to never burn bridges. I learned, you know, I, there's so many quotes, act uh, versus react. I learned, I learned all that stuff. I just learned that like, if you work really hard for your people, they will work really hard for you. And that has carried on in my corporate experience. You know, when I was a new manager at a, massive company with 20 employees that were all male and older than me that carried on into my pursuit into bobsled when I was a 30-year-old rookie trying to convince these pilots who have been doing the sport for 10 plus years that I was the right person to to uh to bank on because you know they could just tell that I I cared enough about them and the sport to really be good at it um, so yeah, just caring about people and being at your best for others and, you know, being of service to others is something that I really, really got from Cutco. That's outstanding. I love what you said about being a part of people doing great things is, you know, one of the things that life is all about. So often when I ask people on some of these podcast interviews, a question like, you know, what are you most proud of? People don't talk about their own achievements. They talk about all of the people that they've helped to achieve other things that they've developed to you know, certain promotions or certain awards or distinctions or you know, whatever it might be in their business or in their life. And I do feel like that uh, when you look back, the most rewarding achievements are those times where you've been able to impact and help other people to do something really great or have been part of a team or part of something where you helped other people. So you, know, you referenced Brad. Brad's been on the podcast and his episode is called To Be a Good Leader, First Be a Good Person. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he really is the epitome of, like you said, caring about other people and helping yeah. other people, putting other people first. 
And he's gotten so many great things in his life and his career because he's taken that mentality. So it's pretty cool. So you left Cutco, you got into the corporate world for a while. And then uh, what made you decide to pursue your MBA? Well, I'll tell you what. um, I think what Cutco does really well is that it has an amazing program and an amazing product and an amazing group of people. And it does a really good job of making you feel like you can do anything, which you can. It's just, you have to remember, you need all those building blocks in order to be successful. And so I went to another big company expecting the same level of service, commitment, integrity to product and, and, and people that I found in Cutco and just didn't find it. Um, and so very quickly... I was bored, one, and two, was like, okay, I need to be able to pivot either into a role within this organization that's going to allow me to create that kind of culture here, or I need to be able to uh, be at a level of education where I could be that level uh, at another organization. So I decided to go after my executive MBA at Pepperdine. Um, because I figured it would give me a good opportunity to build that kind of culture in another environment that Mm -hmm. I I had found at Cutco. Yeah, you know, a lot of people that I've worked with and then spoken to years later when they were someplace else have said to me something like, ah, it's just not like it was at Vector and Cutco. And I always tell them, well, make it like it was at Vector and Cutco. Like make the culture like it was. It starts with each individual and Unfortunately, not everybody is in a position where they have that opportunity to truly impact or steer the culture. And it was interesting to hear you describe that you recognized early on in your corporate career that you wanted to pivot into a role where you could steer or impact the culture of the organization. So that's pretty cool. And so you got your executive MBA and then tell us about where your path was on before you decided to go off on this crazy adventure. Yeah, so I was, um, I just got promoted. I got my executive MBA. I was an area sales manager for about 200 people in five different states, was making six figures, had my dream car, dream apartment, but it just wasn't what I had worked so hard to achieve. Uh, I was working for a company that unfortunately I felt like didn't really vibe with my values of taking care of people and wanting people to grow. Um, It actually felt like the opposite. And I, and the, the nice thing about my MBA is that that company got to be the case study for everything I did within those courses. And so I had this beautiful capstone and some, some great discoveries and some, I think, opportunities for improvement that I wanted to present to leadership, which I was used to being able to do in Cutco because that's what you do. If you have a good idea, you bring it to somebody and they're like, okay, we'll look into how we can do that. Obviously, you can't do everything, but as far as like releasing new products, new programs, that's what Cutco does. And so that's the kind of environment I was used to. And so when I was met with just like, absolutely no, like that's cute what you did, but no, it really turned me off fairly quickly. Mm. And so that's kind of when I made the decision that it was time to do something different. It's just that different thing had not revealed itself to me at the time. Right. So how did that different thing reveal itself? And uh, why did you decide to pursue bobsled? So this is a really fun story. Um, between the time that I left Vector and started working in outside of, of Cutco and Vector, I had a string of different jobs that I really just didn't like. I, I've sold everything now. I've sold hazardous waste disposal services. I've sold server warranties. I've sold online marketing advertising. Um, I've worked in security alarm services, made to measure clothing. I've I've done it all since leaving Vector. Um, most of those weren't fun. (laughs) I'll tell you that I'd rather sell knives than any of that stuff. Um, but there was a point in time where I was unemployed for about seven months and it was around 2008, 2009, where I was just kind of looking, maybe 2010, yeah, 2010, I was looking for a job, but we were in the middle of a recession. And so it didn't matter where I went to college. It didn't matter how much education I had. I couldn't find people 
to pay me anything really to do anything of, of value or importance or just anything. And so I made a, a promise to myself to fully vet every opportunity that came to me because after sitting on a couch for seven months, I figured doing something was better than doing nothing. And so that's how I walked into a sales rep interview and walked out as a sales manager for the corporate job that I had before, um, before bobsled. And so a few years after that, after being promoted within that space and becoming an area sales manager, I had been moved to Denver and was working out in a CrossFit gym. And my friend, uh, after asking me a few questions said, I think you should bobsled. And my initial reaction was because I was 30 at the time and that's not something 30 year olds. I mean, like 30 year olds get that question or that, you know, that prompt. And I was like, no, and kind of laughed. And I was like, that's not a real sport people do. Like it's a movie, cool runnings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then very quickly, that promise that I'd made my, to myself a few years prior kind of popped into my head. And one of the things I hate the most is hypocrisy. So like, if you're going to live by a code, live by the code. So I was like, all right, I'll look into it because at, at a bare minimum, I figured it'd be a funny story to tell people. Um, and I've always felt like at the end of my life, I want to have this just collection of amazing experiences, people, and stories. And so I found out that in Colorado Springs, which is south of Denver, there was an Olympic training center. And having been an athlete my entire life, I didn't know Olympic training centers existed. So I was like, there's a center where just a bunch of Olympians just hang out all day. That sounds awesome. Um, and so I investigated it a little bit, found out there was a combine. For those of you who don't know, a combine is a collection of athletic feats that help a sport or an organization determine if you'd be a good fit. So like there's an NFL combine, there's a bobsled combine. So I was like, I'll just go down there and check it out. And I'll do the combine. I'll laugh at myself, buy a t-shirt, maybe take a tour of the facility, have some lunch, and that'll be that. And it'll be something fun that we talk about at work on Monday. And that was it. That's what I thought. <laughs> so then you went down and uh, it was revealed that you were actually uh, had some potential at this, huh? I didn't think so. Like literally everybody there was a good five to 10 years younger than me and had some like real ath like athleticism towards track and field because a lot of people are recruited from track and field. And so I ran track in high school, but like had no real mechanics or any real training in track and field. And so I just tried out and thought that was the end of it. And then about two weeks later, I got an invite to where I am now in Lake Placid uh, for a rookie camp. And I thought, there's not just one Olympic training center, there's multiple of them. And I'm like, where's Lake Placid, New York? I've never <laughs> heard of that. So I was like, you know what? I'll go live like an Olympian for a week and that will be my story. And so over the next few months, this happened August of 2014 was my combine. August 16th, I graduated from Pepperdine August 1st. And then I came to Lake Placid in September for rookie camp and then back again in September for another camp. And then the next thing you know, I was standing on the top of a mountain getting ready to put on a helmet for the first time to go down a bobsled track. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. And so at the end of that first run, and you eloquently describe, by the way, that first run in your TED Talk, and we'll put a link to the TED Talk in the show notes here. The end of that first run, how did you feel? It was like this mixture of fear and exhilaration that I had been missing in my life for quite some time. I felt that, you know, walking into a customer's house, not knowing if they were going to buy or not, you know, I always like would roll up to a customer's house and be like, try and guess what they were going to buy. Um, I used to feel that before volleyball games, you know, at Brown and I felt that my first day in the corporate world because it's that feeling of opportunity, right? You're like, there's all this opportunity at my fingertips right now. Um, and also going down a bobsled track, you hit up to five G's and you're going 75 to 95 miles an hour. So it, you know, just, it's exhilarating. So that's, I was like, I, what did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it was intoxicating at the same time. So I figured I had to pursue it. 
And that was it. That was the moment when you got to the bottom of that run that you decided, I'm doing this. Yeah, I think I reached my hands up and said, F yeah. Now, <laughs> the thing that people don't know about bobsled tracks is the outruns are usually uphill. And at the beginning of the season, the ice isn't super fast. So instead of going like 90, we go like 80, 85. And so sometimes the bobsleds won't make it all the way up the outrun. So I'm sitting in the bobsled cheering as my pilot has hopped out and is pushing the sled up the hill. <laughs> and she's like, get out. And I'm like, I can't hear her because we have mouth guards and helmets. And I'm like, what? She's like, get out. I was like, oh, I need to help her push it. So yeah, I was so elated that a two-time Olympic medalist who ended up being my partner at the Korea Olympics was pushing me, a rookie, up the hill with a bobsled. So, yeah. <laughs> Wow, that is really cool. So where did the path of bobsled lead you after this? Like, tell us how it all unfolded. Yeah, so for the next three and a half years, well, first of all, I quit my job. And for the next three and a half years, I had to figure out a way to pay off my debt because when you have a six-figure job, you have six-figure expenses. So I had a lease. I had a Mercedes that I leased. So my dad bailed me out and bought me out of the lease because his transmission in his car had just gone. (laughs) And then um, I got rid of my apartment in Denver, which I had planned to purchase at some point. Um, and it was like the most beautiful two bed, two bath. Like I still have pictures of that place on my phone. I love that place. So that was hard to do. And then I sold half of my stuff and put the other stuff in storage and just started to find different jobs in the summers that would allow me to make an influx of, of money. So of course that was sales and, uh, just bun down and just put everything I had into my, in myself into bobsledding. So First thing I woke up, I thought about was bobsled. The last thing I thought about before I went to was bobsled. And every decision that I made in those three and a half years, I had to weigh the opportunity cost. So if it was going to pull me away from potentially reaching my goal, I had to decide if that was the right thing to do at the time. So that meant, you know, saying no to things. I missed some weddings. I missed some birthdays. I missed some parties. Um, I missed some vacations with my family. Um, And it could be a little lonely at times, but it was for a very finite amount of time. And I realized that if you want to do great things and you want to do things that you never imagined you could do, there is a a modicum of sacrifice or even decisions that have to be made. Because like everybody's like, I can't believe you sacrificed your career. And I'm like, I didn't sacrifice anything. I made a, a choice to go down a very different path and to be part of one of the most exclusive clubs on the planet. And to me, it was worth it. I bet every single one of those people who you missed something of was excitedly listening or watching on February 21st, 2018, as you were getting ready for that last run. So Yeah, absolutely. It was kind of all the people who thought... There's, I mean, I think people who know me well know when you start out at 18 selling knives and are successful at it and make 20 grand a summer as a, a college student people know you've got a little something extra in you. So I think the idea of me bobsledding going to the Olympics was something that people could see. But it's, a, it's one thing to talk about doing something. It's a whole other thing to go through and do it. Um, and so I think there was, a, there was a level of like, I can't believe you actually did it. And I'm like, I know, right? And so that was really fun. I had 17 people uh, cheering me on in person at the Olympics. Uh, some of them Cutco veterans which was an alumni, which was really cool. And customers, of course, because I sold to my parents. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. During those three and a half years, what was your mindset? Like, there was no guarantee you were going to make the Olympic team. In fact, it was probably somewhat of a long shot for much of that time. And, you know, what did you think? Yeah, there was zero guarantee. It wasn't like, hey, put in this amount of time and we promise you you're going to get what you what you want. And unfortunately, or fortunately in life, most things that are worth your time and energy don't come with a guarantee. You have to create that for yourself. And so there is this incredible thing that happens when you go after your dreams. It's the most uh, amazing and painful experience of your life because the deeper you get into it, the more you put into it, the idea of failure creeps in and it's terrifying. 
And I learned very quickly that when I was overwhelmed and when I was nervous and when I was scared, um, there was a lot of things that I couldn't control. You know, when it comes down to selecting a brakeman, which is my position, I sit in the back, I push, I hop in, and then I pull the brakes at the end. Um, a panel of six people select the brakeman. So I have very little control over whether or not I'm actually selected to the Olympic team. But what I did have control over was identifying my weaknesses and then attacking them. Mm -hmm. So I love the term paralysis by analysis. Sometimes we can get so overwrought by the mountain of things that we have to overcome that we just do nothing. And we just sit there and like analyze and push things around. But instead I was like, okay, these are the things that I'm not great at. I am not technically sound in my sprinting because I wasn't a sprinter. So my velocity and speed are affected. I'm really freaking strong. So while I love lifting, it's just not going to be my top priority because it's not what I need to work most in. You know, and I think the biggest mistake people make is, well, this part of my business or this part of my sport, I'm really good at. So I'm just going to keep being better at that instead of looking at the things that they're not great at. And I found that the more I worked on my weaknesses, one, the less they became weaknesses and the more I really enjoyed it because I would get so much more out of working on those things than I would just, you know, raising my back squat number, which was pretty easy. Yeah. Wow. You share in your TED Talk some of the lessons you learned sitting in the back of the bobsled. Can you give us a little bit of that information? Yeah, that um, I think the the coolest part about the last or the, I guess now it's five years, but those that three and a half years is I think everybody thinks that winning the medal is like the crown jewel of the experience. And it is this incredible two and a half pound trinket <laughs> that uh, will always be mine, but it's not something that I'm necessarily going to share with the world. Um, so I think that the lessons that I learned and the amount of growth that I had in those three and a half years is, is what I got out of the experience. And so I think the first one is the ability to say no. Uh, I love to please people, but there are sometimes people who take, take, take and don't give. And I'm a giver. So I will give all of myself into a situation and sometimes get nothing back. And that's fine because I'm not looking for something in return, but I have to be very careful with who I give my energy and my advice and my time to. Um, the next thing is, you know, asking for help. Uh, in my positions, you know, in, in Cutco, I was a, a division office manager, I was an assistant manager, and I was a, division, a, a district manager. And so I was used to being in a position of having all the answers and being the person that people came to for questions. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing in the corporate world, I was a sales manager, then an area sales manager. I was on, you know, different boards and things. So I got very used to people coming to me for, for, for help going into bobsled and being a 30 year old rookie. I think that should be the title of my book, 30 year old rookie. Um, for the first time in a long time, I had to ask for help. And I had to realize asking for help was not a sign of weakness. It was actually just a sign of wanting to be better. Um, and I think those were the two most important things that I got out of the experience was, you know, being able to say no and also being able to ask for help. And then, of course, prioritizing the things that matter and focusing on the things that I could control. I love to be in control at all times. That's just not how life works. So you got to find the things that you can impact and control those things. Yeah, that's great. I heard you say something about, you know, big dreams require assistance. They require help. They require resources from others. And I think that's a good insight for a lot of people to understand is that, right. uh, you know, we all do need some help along our path. And it's important to seek out the people who are able and willing to give us the assistance that we need, the guidance, the mentorship, you know, the training, whatever it is that we need in order to be able to head down the path that we want. Right. So January 13th, 2018, you're named to the team. Was it a foregone conclusion at that point? Or was there a sense of exhilaration that day? Like, how did that day feel? That day was like one of the 
most emotional days of my life. So just to give you a little color on how an Olympic team for the U.S. is named in bobsled. So every discipline in every country has a different process. So the pilots are named by their rank in the world. So the IBSF, which is the International Bobsled Skeleton Federation, takes the results from the first seven races of the season. So we do a full World Cup season, which is eight races. And then at the end, it's either the Olympics or World Championships. So the year of the Olympics, they do the first seven races, and then it's by rank. So a certain number of countries get three sleds, then two sleds, then one sled. There's the continent rule. There's the home nation rule. And that's how all the pilots are decided. So that day, we had our seventh race. I raced with my best friend. We finished in 10th. We did not push great. Mm. Um, and we also, our, our USA three sled failed to qualify for the Olympics. So we had had the plan of three pilots, three brakemen, and two alternates going to the Olympics. And after that race, it got cut down to two pilots, two brakemen, and one alternate. So oh. a significant number of people were now no longer going to the Olympics. And I'd had a really great season. By far my breakout season, I had done some great things, broken some start records, uh, meddled with pilots, with multiple pilots. And so I really thought I had done what I needed to do to cement myself. And then that race happened. And it was like, that was the last race going into the selection process. And so on the US side, there are, it's a panel of six people who decide the brakeman and the pairing for the Olympics. And so the race ended around 1 p.m. We were in Switzerland, St. Moritz, Switzerland, the birthplace of bobsled, one of the most beautiful places to bobsled. It's one of the only tracks in the world that is natural. So it's built of snow and ice every year, and it's like sliding on a cloud. Uh, my favorite place in the world, one of my favorite places in the world, obviously Korea holds a special place in my heart now. Um, and they told us that the team would be announced at 11 p.m., they moved the entire women's team out of our hotel because the men still had a race the next day. And the Sochi announcement for the 2014 Olympics had been so emotional and dramatic that they didn't want us to kind of impact the men. And so I just told my coaches, I said, look, I think I'm the best person for the job, but I understand your job is to put the best two teams on that hill to win two medals. And so if for some reason I'm not please just tell me before you tell the group, because I don't want to hear for the first time that I'm not going to the Olympics in front of other people. I don't know how I'm going to respond because I had really thrown everything I had into this. And so at around 10.45, we were getting ready to walk back over to the other hotel and we got a text saying, hey, it's going to be another 30 minutes. And 30 minutes when you've been waiting all day feels Mm. like an eternity. And then about 15 minutes into that 30 minutes, I got a text from my coach that said, can you meet me in the library? And that's where the selection committee had been meeting. And I thought, oh, crap. So I'm like getting dressed. My friend and I are are rooming together. And she's like, good luck. And I just looked at her and I said, I want you to know no matter what happens, meeting you and being your friend has been the best experience of bobsled. Because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how I was going to feel. But I need to remember that even if you don't hit your goals, there are important things about your journey that you need to be grateful for. And that friendship is something I will always be grateful for. Mm -hmm. So I'm like walking over and I'm like almost hyperventilating and I get about 10 feet to the the other hotel and I start running. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to the Olympics. I'm going to the Olympics. They're choosing me. I'm going to the Olympics. And then I realize I'm running on ice and I need to stop running because if I bust my butt, and hurt myself, then I'm not going to the Olympics. So <laughs> I get to the hotel and I'm like overheated by that point because it's freezing outside. I have a ton of clothes on. It's warm inside. I open the door and it's like this perfectly lit panel of people staring back at me. The rest of the room feels dark and it's just a spotlight. Mm. And I just start losing it. I'm like, guys, just tell me what's going to happen. They're like, sit down. I'm like, I can't just tell me what's going to happen. And I'm like taking off jackets. I'm looking to try and read the room and these people that I've known for a few years now all look foreign to me. Like I can't read what's going through their head or anything. And looking at my coach and he kind of smirks at me and I'm like, this isn't funny. He goes, you're right. It's not funny. 
He's like, this is the hardest day of my life every four years. And he just starts sputtering on. And our director of sports goes, Shimer, shut up. That's our coach, Brian Shimer, Olympic medalist, amazing driver. Uh, and then our CEO starts talking. He's like, Lauren, you've done a great job. You've really improved over the years. You know, we were trying to figure out uh, the best teams for the Olympics. And we feel like your performance with Jamie was great, but not the best. Um, and for that reason, we would like you to push Alana in the Olympics. Uh-huh. And I just, I was like speechless. I got up and screamed and then stopped because I realized that there were going to be four women that were going to walk in and hear the opposite news. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want them to hear me yelling and joy and jubilee outside you know if they were about to hear different news and then i sat back down on the table and slid under the table <laughs> like in a, a puddle of emotion and they're like get up and i was like no i can't and it was um yet for the first time in my life i had fully committed to something now this is crazy because i've been successful in a number of different things right i was a successful volleyball player I was very successful at Cutco. I ran an office. You know, I was a Sir Lancelot Award winner, uh, Academy of Champions. I, I won a ton of push blobs. Like, you know, I won company trips. I went to Brown, you know, was academic all IV, second team all IV. All this stuff had done really well in corporate. But this was the first time that I threw every part of myself into something. And was more focused on the success, the possibility of success than I was the fear of failure. Because for me growing up, I never, I hated failure more than I loved winning. And finally I was like, win, lose, or draw. Bobsled is going to get all of me, all that I have. And I'm just going to get, put my best foot forward and see what happens. Because at that point in my life, I felt like I was really good on paper, but I didn't always feel like I was the person that my resume portrayed. And so this experience was for me. I wanted to know that I could be the person that everybody thought I was and that I thought I was more importantly, who cares what everybody else thinks, right? I wanted to be the person that I knew I was and I needed something to just break through. Um, And it was bobsled and it was, you know, training for three and a half years. And I think they always say you train your whole life for bobsled because there's so many components of being a good bobsled athlete, but it was three and a half years of training for a 20 second performance. And it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Wow. Wow. Lauren, it was riveting just listening to you describe that right now. So must've been an amazing day in your life. And then uh, six weeks later, it was made even more amazing. Yeah, man. Being at the Olympics is the most fun. Team USA really does it right. You feel like a rock star. You feel like a superstar. You're taken care of. You feel like a superhero. And then you you look to your right and there's Sean White. And you look to your left and there's Lindsey Vaughn. (laughs) There's Michaela Schifrin. And then your teammates who you've been just looking up to for the past three and a half years, you realize you're now on a more level playing field as them. uh, And you become... Uh, at the same level as your mentors. And that's a really special thing and experience. Yeah. And you guys did it. You won uh, the silver medal. I love that you say you won- we won the silver medal because like so many people like to say we lost gold. <laughs> and uh, would I have loved to be a gold medalist? 100%. Do I think we put in the work? Yes. What a lot of people don't know is the week leading up to that, my pilot partially tore her Achilles tendon. And we rolled up to the Olympics. We rolled up to Korea with her in a wheelchair and a boot. And every step she took was excruciating pain. And for her to be able to muster just the grit and resilience, like, I don't care what color that medal is. Because she could have very much just said, hey, I can't compete. And man, that I think is better than any medal. Just watching someone be excellent in pain and just persevering 
and like overcoming adversity. Like we had to cut her husband is incredible. Nick Taylor. He cut the back of her shoe out because it was rubbing on her Achilles. So she was like running in on in an ice spike that was like partially cut open just to make adjustments. Our coaching staff just rallied together to make her new foot pegs so she could sit in the sled properly. Like so many adjustments had to be made in order for us to even compete to come away with anything is just incredible. So you're literally like escorting her to the sled just to get in it before you get to the start line and you're pushing it at the start, right? You're, yeah. you're helping her climb in. Yeah. And I remember cause the first, when you get there, you get, uh, six runs before. And the first few days we had her sit in the sled and we were just, I was just pushing her down and hopping in. She was just getting a whole, uh, hang of the track. Um, and then I remember the first day that we actually tried to push and we got to the bottom and you would have thought we had won the Olympics because we were just cheering and hollering. And she was like, I pushed and it didn't hurt. Uh-huh. And I mean, obviously during the competition, she pushed a lot harder so she ended up doing a ton more damage to it. And I'm just so thankful that that thing didn't pull off the bone before the, the competition was over. But if you watch really closely when she hops out of the sled after that last run, and I can send you a, a cool little video that they put together. Um, she kind of hops out and lands on one foot because like the amount of pain going through her other foot is just unbearable at that point. <sighs> wow. And like talk about someone to look up to, right? Like yeah. talk about someone who changed my life. It's incredible. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I'm sure a big reason why she gritted through it was that uh, you were counting on her, right? When it was not only her dream, but your dream yeah. right, to be there at the same time. So, And she's kind of responsible for recruiting me because she had played... So my friend who said I should, should bobsled is a rugby player. And this was 2014. She ended up going to the 2016 Olympics, beating cancer twice. Like She's not human. Um, played a season of rugby with Alana Myers-Taylor, who was my pilot. And she had told Jill, Jill Potter, that they're always looking for a new uh, bobsled brakeman. And so she was the one that kind of... So it was just nice to complete the circle to inadvertently be recruited by someone to have to fight for opportunities to get into a sled. The weight rules changed. We almost couldn't make weight together. And then to finally come together and win an Olympic medal together is like the coolest story in my opinion, but it was my story. So I'm a little biased. Yeah. It's a great story, Lauren. Not bad, right? (laughs) I'll vouch for the story. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what does the future hold for Lauren Gibbs? So I've been a lot of really, uh, I've been fortunate. I, I always say I'm the luckiest person I know. I was blessed with the most amazing parents and friends and family. And then I always count my blessings for being introduced to Cutco and learning very early on in life what it means to be successful, what it means to work hard and what it means to take care for others. And so I've always just kind of fallen into uh, opportunities that have I've worked hard in and have worked out. And so now that I feel like if I really focus on one goal that I can accomplish it. So my goal now is to change the world. Small one. Little. And I want to change the world by helping other people realize what it is they're passionate about or realize their potential or just realize that they can cultivate whatever life or lifestyle that they want for themselves, that they are not a prisoner to their circumstances. They're not a prisoner to expectations. They're not, you know, a prisoner of what they're currently doing because that's where I was. I was, you know, I went to a private school. I went to a private college. From what I knew, you could run a business, be a lawyer, be a doctor and, or be a teacher. And those were the acceptable things in life that, that, um, checkmark success. And so going through this process, I realized with the way we can communicate and the way information is shared, there's so many different ways to accomplish things and to reach people and to succeed. And so I am not making the money that I was working in corporate, but every day is different and every day is exactly what I want it to be. And I have 100% control over that. And I will get back to that money at some point. It'll just be in in my own way. And so if I can help other people enjoy more of what they do on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute basis, I think that the world will be in a better place because if we look at like Maslow's 
you know, pyramid of, of basic needs. I think when people are satisfied with their day-to-day and their own lives, they can have empathy and care for others. And when you have empathy and care for others, the world is a better place. Yeah, outstanding, Lauren. That was really amazing. You have a great story to tell and you have great lessons to share. And I'm sure that your future career as a speaker is going to be outstanding. And we're proud to count you as a Cutco alum. It's great to see the success that you have achieved uh, with the Olympics. Just such a cool thing. And hope to see if it's in the cards that uh, the 2022 can bring you a lot of the same success or maybe even that gold medal that... Uh, that you'd like to see. That so. gold medal would be beautiful. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, I hope to stay more in touch with the Cutco community because I really genuinely am thankful for my experience. And uh, I, I really feel like it was the catalyst that was like, hey, you can control whatever it is that you want to do in life. And that's an invaluable lesson. So thank you for having me. Yeah, outstanding, Lauren. Well, thank you so much for making the time. This has been a great conversation. I'm sure that uh, people will get a ton of value from it. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dan. All right. That was U.S. Olympian Lauren Gibbs, everyone. Great stuff. I enjoyed hearing some of her lessons from her Cutco experience and the importance of sales as a part of life, influence, caring for people, being part of other people doing great things. So many good lessons right there. But how about her experiences in the last few years with bobsled? I love where Lauren said that most things that are worth your time and energy don't come with a guarantee. Think about how that applies to the things that you're pursuing in your life. I love where she said, even if you don't hit your goals, there are things in the journey to be grateful for. And in fact, in the end, it is the journey that is most relevant, whether you hit your goals or don't hit your goals. What you'll most remember is the journey, is the experiences. And then, of course, uh, Lauren also said it's important to focus on the possibility of success versus the possibility of failure. Our minds are very remarkable devices and they move us in the direction that we face. And it is so important as you consider the things that you want to achieve in your life that you are focusing on the ways to succeed and trying to push out of your mind all those fears of failure. Lauren privately told me after the interview that you know what she really wants to encourage people and share with people is the concept of getting out of your own damn way. And that that's what she did. She got out of her own way She gave herself the opportunity to succeed, focused on success, achieved what she wanted, and accomplished something remarkable. Awesome to hear how she wants to change the world in the future. I thank you for allowing me to share with you the journey of Lauren Gibbs from selling knives in 2002 to changing lives in the future. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.